Coming to you from North Central Ohio, we share with you the voice of the Nazarene, a week-by-week venture into the Word of God sponsored by the Bucyrus, Ohio Church of the Nazarene. We join our pastor, Reverend Ray LaSalle, and the voice of the Nazarene. Norman Rockwell was a very well-known artist in the yesteryears. He had a folksy kind of art. He had a pizzazz about him that no one else seems to have ever been able to mirror. Most notably was his illustrations and pictures that found their way to the front cover of the Saturday Evening Post. You always had a subtle clue, and you had to look for it uh, in his art. He had several very well-known Thanksgiving portrayals. One of them maybe not quite as well-known as some of the others was that of a woman who had gone to the butcher at Thanksgiving time. She was buying turkey for Thanksgiving, and they had this scrawny, sickly, skimpy-looking little turkey lying between the paper and on the scales. You could barely see a part of it. In the picture, Rockwell portrayed the butcher putting his finger on the scale, pushing down, trying to increase the weight of the turkey and increase the price. The woman looking very innocently on past him has her finger under the scale, pushing it back up to decrease the weight and to decrease the price. I don't know what message that Rockwell was trying to to give, but to me, it's that you can't put a price on true thanksgiving. You can't put a price on real, true gratitude. Our scripture reading this morning comes to us from Luke chapter 17. Jesus is walking down the road with some of his apostles. I don't know what their conversation may have been about, perhaps what they were seeing on the roadside. And they come to the borderline of Judea and Samaria, and they're entering a village and some they encounter some desperate men, men whom the Scripture says were lepers. Somebody counted and said there were 10 lepers. And instead of calling unclean, unclean, instead of begging for food, they begin to call out to Jesus and said, have mercy on us. They called to him for grace. Let me read it to you. Beginning in verse 11 of Luke 17, as Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, 10 men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And he looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, 
came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell uh, to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. He wasn't a Jew. He wasn't the chosen frozen. He was a, a lowly Samaritan, but he came back to say thank you. And Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. We do not know how these 10 lepers may have known about Jesus. I'm sure that word of him had spread across the land as people got to know that he was healing folk. Word must have got out that he was making people well. We assume from these writers that these lepers knew who Jesus was. And they cry out, and when they did, Jesus responded by saying, go show yourselves to the priest. Now this isn't Jesus pushing them off. This is the way it was done. And leprosy in the days of Jesus was considered a very deadly plague. If you had leprosy in whatever various forms of it, you had to quarantine yourself from the rest of society. Those guidelines were found in the book of Leviticus, and it was the law that the Jewish people had to obey. And if you were a leper and you were in large crowds, you had to distance yourself. You had to wear a mask. You had to call out, unclean, unclean. And those in the advanced stages of leprosy were forced to live in leper colonies. Now, one of the most famous of these leper colonies was a place called the Isle of Patmos. It was about 30 miles off the coast of Asia Minor. It was out in the blue Aegean Sea, a strip of rock and land that rose above the water, and on it were placed lepers. And they would live there until either they were healed or went into remission or until they died. Later on, the Isle of Patmos became a penal colony for prisoners. But at the time of the writing of this gospel, it was a famous leper colony. These lepers cry out to Jesus. And in the midst of their embarrassment and degradation, driven away from their families, jobs are gone, living in terror of death, begging for food, finding themselves unwelcome in society, in a quarantine environment while living with others of the same disease. Once in a while they would get loose and they would roam streets and call unclean. They're announcing themselves to Jesus as the apostles are gathered around. And Jesus said, go show yourselves to the priests. And the priests would determine whether or not they were healed or if it had gone into remission or if they were well enough to be able to get back into a public society. So these 10 lepers immediately turn following the command of Christ and they head off to show themselves to the priests. And as they're going, it tells us that they were healed. It was in their going. Jesus never touched them 
Oftentimes he would lay his hand on the sick, but this time he just simply said, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they're going, they're healed. And one of them that was healed, forget all about the priest, he realized he'd just met the high priest and he turned around and he raced back to find Jesus before Jesus would disappear. Fell down at his feet and began to offer thanks. And Jesus responds in the most interesting way. He said, but did I not heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? And it's the other nine that I have entitled my message, the nine that missed Thanksgiving. Jesus asked, what happened to the other nine? And the one that returned doesn't offer any kind of explanation. So I guess it's up to us to imagine why only one out of 10 came back to express thanksgiving. And that raises to our mind the question of what should we do in our own lives so that we don't miss thanksgiving. And I'm not talking about that day on the calendar. I'm not talking about the debate of whether we go to this grandmother or the other grandmother's house. I'm not discussing the size of the turkey or who's going to cook it. You can determine all of that. I'm talking about the ease which, which we can slip right past this moment on the calendar and miss an opportunity to offer thanks. So how do we be sure that we're not a part of the nine that miss that thanksgiving? How can we ensure to ourselves that we'll be like that one that returns and live in gratefulness? So what do we do to ensure that we don't miss thanksgiving? I'm gonna share with you three quick keys. Key number one, we need to focus on the presence of God. I mean, we need to focus the presence of God into our own lives. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, it reads, Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give praise. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Did you catch that little phrase, in everything, give thanks. It does not say for everything give thanks. For why would you be thankful if you just got word that you've got a terminal disease? Why would you be thankful that your marriage is falling apart? Why would you be thankful if somebody you love is on drugs? No, you can't thank God for everything. But he said in the midst of everything, we're to praise God and be thankful, according to the Apostle Paul, for he said it's the will of God. Max Lucado tells the story that when he was a little boy living in Texas growing up, that the horns began blowing, and when they looked out the front door, a car was driving by, and people were hanging out of the window screaming, tornadoes coming, run for cover. Immediately, the dad began to get the family in out of the fields, out of the barn, and told them to get into the house. They didn't have a basement. They didn't have a storm cellar. And so they would get into the middle of the house and take a, a mattress, and they'd all lay down beside each other, and they'd put this mattress over the top. And he said, we all crawled in under that mattress, and he said, I, I whispered, Dad, and I didn't get an answer. 
So he said, I poked one end of the mattress up and looked, and there stood my big dad over by the window, looking out of that tornado and storm that was raging, coming closer and closer to the farm. He said, I quickly scurried out from under that mattress and across the room and up against Dad and threw my arms around my father's leg. And I peered out of the window and he said, I saw that funnel cloud and darkness and blackness zigging this way and zigging that way and moving closer to the farm. Max Lucadel and reflecting back into the past, he said, I learned a lesson about storms. Something told me that the safest place to stand in a storm is next to my father. I believe true gratitude in the storms of life is to be with our arms wrapped around our father and our father, his arms wrapped around us. When we think we can handle the battles of life, when we become so self-sufficient that we can handle the storms and all the things that would come up against us, when we become that self-sufficient, probably we're going to fall. True gratitude is staying close to the presence of the source. This leper, he returned back to the source of his healing. He returned back to Jesus, and we need to do that. A second way not to miss Thanksgiving is to think of the needs of others. Self-centeredness is a great killer of gratitude. Self-absorption keeps us from true thanksgiving. We're like the nine who went on their way, healed and made whole, but for whatever reason missed the opportunity of being grateful. We need to look at the needs of others. Jesus always did. In the 1600s, in Germany was a man by the name of Martin Rinkart. He was a Lutheran pastor in a small little town called Eidelberg, Germany. Small parish. He and his wife had been there for a little while when suddenly across Europe swept the worst pandemic that part of the world had ever experienced. They would call it the bubonic plague. He said the death toll was just like checkers falling, people dying all across Europe. And they couldn't seem to handle it. And he said, I was pastoring at the very worst time of this pandemic. He said it hit our little town and people began to die. He said they would die up to as many as 100 a day. He said on average I officiated, he said, between 40 and 50 funerals a day. 8,000 and some died. Nearly all of the leading businessmen in the town died. The mayor died. The firefighters died. Our little police force, he said they died. And his own wife died of the bubonic plague as well. After all of the scene had passed, he had buried his wife, buried many people that he knew and a lot more that he did not know. When it was over, he sat down, tired and weary, reached over and picked up a sheet of paper and took a pen. And he began to write some words and he called it the hymn of thanksgiving. Later on, music was put to those words and it became a very famous hymn of the church and sang around the world through the years, even here in America. A man that had come through such 
terrible despair. A man that had, had endured that kind of pandemic to think that he could write a song of thanksgiving. Here's the first stanza. Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices who wondrous things hath done in whom his world rejoices, who from our mother's arms hath blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. How can a man who had experienced that kind of hurt write a hymn of thanksgiving? And when he was questioned, he said, during that time I learned to focus not on myself and my fears and my disappointments, but he said, I learned to focus on the needs of others. And somehow it was a powerful note of gratitude that we lived through it. If you don't want to miss Thanksgiving, thirdly, we need to yield completely our hearts to Christ. Yielding our hearts to Christ is not something that you do once. Are you listening? It's a lifetime. We like to embrace the idea, hey, I got saved. That's good. I understand what you mean. I appreciate that. And uh, some, so it's something that you experience, we would say, in a moment of time. No doubt people have experienced salvation and, and uh, redemption uh, in a moment of crisis in their life. Nobody can get to heaven without making a start. You, you understand that. But having made a start doesn't get you into heaven. It's a long, long journey to get to heaven. There's a yielding along the pathway of our spiritual life. And the scriptures does not describe salvation in a once and done sort of a thing. But rather it describes salvation as an ongoing reality through the seasons of life when sometimes we're more aware of God's grace than we are at other times. And that there are times in our life across the course of our living that we need to continue to yield our hearts to Christ over and over and over and over and over. Now why is that? Because our humanity can get in the way of God's presence and power in our lives. Sometimes in all of our lives, whether you've been a part of the church or you got into church in later life, you're never at a place where you can say, hey, I've got it all. You can just go ahead and punch my ticket. I'm all set. I'm all taken care of. All of us across the years, there'll be places in our lives where on the journey, once again, we have to yield ourselves afresh. New things come up. New battles have to be fought. New temptations are faced. And it's there in surrendering that we find a new grace and gratitude and mercy for the journey. When, when life throws a curve at us, and it can, and when you find yourself on a wrong road and maybe you've gotten off track, however you want to describe it, that's in that moment of yielding ourselves to Christ. So when we sit here in a sanctuary like this, we sing and we share, you need to ask yourself, am I at a point where there needs to be some new yielding of God's will for my life? Or I see it taking a different turn and God is speaking to me and do I go that way or am I gonna resist or do I yield? It's in the yielding that victory is found and it's in that continual life-giving relationship 
One of the amazing things in this story of Christ healing these 10 lepers, all 10 of them, only one returned to continue on in a relationship with Christ. The others kept going and moving along in a different direction, not returning for that continued yielding and friendship and relationship with Jesus. Now, Jesus didn't mention them because he wanted to feel good about himself. He's not trying to toot his own horn. Returning back to Christ and continuing to yield ourselves to him is what keeps us on track, on the journey, till one day we step into heaven. Now, I'm sure you've heard a lot about space travel, astronauts, NASA, all of that. I'm sure you know some names. If I were to give you a quick exam, you'd probably mention Neil Armstrong. You'd mention John Glenn from our own state of Ohio who recently passed away. Have any of you ever heard of the name of Charlie Duke, an astronaut? Nobody? He is the one in 1972 that was the pilot of the lunar module 16. He's the youngest man to ever walk on the moon and still holds that record. He's the 10th man to ever set foot out of a vehicle and to walk on the moon. Now he's like those that are running our sound equipment. He loved country western music like our guys do. They're so enamored with it, it amazes me. And he, he said, I don't want to go to the moon unless I can take my country western music along with me. I don't want to leave Dolly Parton and Porter Wagner and Merle Haggard and those behind. I want to take, I want to take country music. And so he, he somehow got it on a little cassette or some kind of an apparatus. And when he stepped out, he played country music for the moon. Thought you'd want to know all of that. You say, Pastor, why, why are you bringing up Charlie Duke? I never heard of him. Why? Because he was once a famous astronaut who by the time he came back and a little time passed, his life began to spiral out of control. And he lost total direction in life. And he and his wife began to struggle with where they were in life. The fame and the fortune had passed. And Charlie and his wife, Dottie, were abusing alcohol. And the crowds and the reporters were not there anymore. NASA had passed on by. And he's left with a past to kind of try to sort through. And life began to not make sense. And he found himself in a real bad place. He's lost. He's confused. It was so bad that his wife, Dottie, attempted suicide several times. And then a next-door neighbor lady that was, knew him a bit and was friends toward him saw what was going on in their lives and one day called across the fence and got Dottie's attention and said, you know, I'm going to a Bible study a little later this, this evening, and Dottie, why don't you go with me to the Bible study? Now, Charlie and Dottie were not religious people. They didn't have much to do with the church. Dottie looked at that neighbor lady and her life's falling apart and she thought, how could it hurt? And she agreed and she went. And one thing led to another and to another and Dottie yielded her 
life totally and completely to Christ, began to attend the church, became a participant at the church and a regular attender, very involved. And eventually she invited Charlie to come with her to church. Charlie was hesitant about it and he wasn't sure that he wanted that, but he'd seen the change in his wife, Dottie's life. And reluctantly, he agreed to go with her. And uh, along the way, and one thing after another, and Charlie gave his life totally and completely and yielded it to Christ. Often, Charlie and Dottie was invited at various places to share their testimony. And one thing Charlie would say every time, he said, walking on the moon cannot compare with walking on earth with Jesus Christ. Isn't that tremendous? The songwriter said that he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me that I am his own. And he said of the joy we share as we tarry there, no other has ever known. He learned what it was like walking with Christ on earth. Are you walking with Christ? A yielded life? As we yield our life, we find there's nothing as grand as when we're yielded our all to him. The power of gratitude ought to drive us to the feet of Jesus in gratitude and in yieldedness and say, I want you to take my life from here on and let me have a life that's a, a life that'll last for a lifetime, yielding along the journey until one day, I'll climb higher than the moon. I'll step my way into that celestial city. Father, we thank you for our group that have gathered. Bit of a downpour outside, but the sun is shining in our hearts. We love thee today and we thank you for our people. As we'll leave the building, I just pray that you'll be with the state of Ohio during this time. Be with our nation, be with our country, be with our world. Be the God that we need so desperately. Help us to live well of what we have found when we met you. And may we be grateful not just on Thanksgiving, but may it be at all times. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Greet one another. No Sunday school. Thanks for being a part of the Voice of the Nazarene. Visit us every Sunday at 9 a.m. with BNC's pastor, Ray LaSalle. For more information regarding BNC, visit BusirisNazarene.org.